0: This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Well, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com, and I'm your host, Jim Dudley. We'll ask any new cop what they want to be doing after their time in patrol. Some will say they want to go to narcotics or to the canines or maybe move up in the ranks. Chances are a lot will say that they want to be a detective, not just any kind of detective, but they want to be a homicide detective. Is it really all it's cracked up to be? Well, Our guest today may give us a good look into the life of a true detective, a homicide detective. Lieutenant Joe Kenda is a 23-year veteran of the Colorado Springs Police Department, spent 21 years chasing killers as a homicide detective and commander of the Major Crimes Unit. Kenda and his team solved 356 of 387 homicide cases, getting a 92% solve rate, one of the highest in the country. After retiring from law enforcement, he starred in Homicide Hunter, Lieutenant Joe Kenda, an American true crime documentary series that ran for nine seasons on Investigation Discovery. He has written two books, I Will Find You and Killer Triggers, and his new series, American Detective with Lieutenant Joe Kenda, is now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Well, great to have you. Welcome to the show, Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Well,
1: thanks for having me.
0: Hey, you know, I was just mentioning that you know, my first uh, week of classes, I asked my students, "What's you know, name three of your favorite crime shows or or movies?" And yesterday, your name popped up. They said, "Oh, Lieutenant Joe Kenda," and uh, "American Detective," and I, I I was thrilled. I think it's awesome. Tell us about the show.
1: <laughs> well, apparently, my mother was lurking in the hallway outside of the classroom and mm-hmm. suggested that kids say that, but whatever. Uh, The show is uh, about, uh, I wanted to illustrate that I wasn't the only one who answered the call to be a homicide detective in this country. I wanted to uh, showcase the work of, of detectives from all over the United States, not just from big cities, but from small towns. Most of these are small towns. Most of these cases, no one's ever heard of because the press had bigger fish to fry at the time. And unless you lived in the area, they never covered it. So these are just as horrible as any other homicide. And it shows how those detectives, for little or no money, who work like dogs and suffer the slings and arrows of the press and the public for the sole purpose of doing the right thing, standing in the shoes of the victim because the victim can't stand in his own anymore. And that's an important thing, to show the process of criminal investigation, which is not car chases and gun battles, It's one foot in front of the other. One fact leads to the next fact. That's how it truly goes. And these uh, shows illustrate that among these detectives who were on the show describing the effort they made and took to resolve a case. And we get from, from a crime scene and discovery human remains to a courtroom in an hour and how we did that.
0: Well, that's great. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about sort of sort of myth busting. But what would you say uh, somebody approached you and said they're thinking about becoming a police officer? Um, What would you say uh, to somebody just getting into policing? They want to be a detective right off the bat. What's the true reality?
1: Of course they do. Of course they don't. (laughs) That's a normal thing. That's a normal thing. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but you have to temper it with reality. And law enforcement has always been a challenging profession. It is one that has a high return in terms of you being able to satisfy your character and your integrity. That you are out there doing the right thing in the face of all the criticism you will suffer, you have to ignore that. It's about doing the right thing. And that involves all types of activities within police work, not just being a detective there every other aspect of it. I was fortunate, I wanted to be a detective and I maneuvered myself into a position where I could be selected for that, and I was. And fortunately, I was able to perform, so it didn't throw me out. I stayed there for almost my entire career. Uh, And I enjoyed it immensely. But it is a unique experience and it's a very, very difficult thing, frustrating to the max, disheartening to the max, all those sorts of things, but also euphoric when you turn a case and you find and identify the person responsible to the exclusion of all others. So a new guy, new girl, keep your mouth shut, keep your hands in your pockets, learn from people you respect, disregard people you do not, and carry yourself on as you're supposed to for the oath you took for the office. You're gonna serve and protect. That's what you're here for.
0: Well, that's good advice. You know, in my my old agency, San Francisco Police Department, um, the inspector's rank, uh, the detective rank, we call them inspectors in San Francisco. It's a a rank, a promotional rank. You take it just like the sergeant's test, and then you move around the bureaus, the different bureaus. In investigation, shift a little bit to investigations. Walk us through the first steps of the investigation, the most important. Now, we know from a a famous TV show, I forget the name of it, but they talk about the first 48 hours as (laughs) being so important. Did you you catch that? And uh, yes, (laughs) so you tell us the truth. Is
1: it the first 48? That is absolute and utter nonsense. All of it. The only thing you have to do in a case is find clear and convincing evidence that a particular individual at the exclusion of all others is responsible for this criminal event. That might take you 10 years, or it might take you 10 minutes, but there is no 48-hour rule, period, the end. You're there to find out what you can about what happened here. I had a young detective once who was zipping around in his first crime scene, blasting to the left, blasting to the right. I said, hey, come here. Yes, sir. Did you kill him? And I pointed at the victim. He said, well, no. Then you have no reason to be upset, my boy. Put a paper bag over your head. Take a breath. (laughs) When you calm down, come back and see me. I have something for you to do. I want your brain and not your emotions. This is difficult work, it's difficult work. The first thing to do is to do nothing. Don't come up with a theory because you have no idea what happened here, you weren't here. Don't come up with that theory on your way there, which some guys do, don't do that. Let the facts you learn drive the theory of the case. And the only way to learn those facts is to do so carefully and slowly absorb what you see, pay attention to things. I would speak out loud to the suspect in the crime scene. Oh, my guys I thought I was nuts, which I kind of am. But anyway, I'd walk in a crime scene and I'd look at something that was broken, not as a result of an assault, but something that the perpetrator did on purpose. And I would say out loud, why did you do that? Why did you break that? There's lots of things in here you could break, Mm -hmm. but you decided to break that. What's that have to do with you or what's it have to do with this victim? Did you bring a weapon with you and take it with you for further use or did you obtain a weapon while you were here? Did you have a plan or no plan? That will speak to that question. Did you break in or did you walk in or were you invited in? Is there evidence of forced entry? If there isn't, isn't, how'd you get in here? It's possible the door wasn't locked. It's also possible the victim knows you and allowed you to come in. And on and on. Those kinds of thoughts to build some kind of a concept of what might have gone on here. You can't always consider what's possible. You have to begin with what is likely. Mm -hmm. Anything's possible. Sure, It's so likely is where you're going to find it.
0: Right, and you make a good point about um, you know the reluctance or the the resistance to rush to judgment because you know often police are accused of that, and and to keep your your mind open for all possibilities. And then you talk about, a little bit about interrogation and and talking to the suspect. What's what are your uh, interrogation techniques that you use best? What you know of all the things out there—the polygraph, the intensive interviewing, truth-telling tips—what what kind of style works best for you?
1: I think what works best for me works best for everyone else. Pick something that fits your personality. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be the person that they describe in interrogation training, and in, uh, that the FBI. AI has been running for 40 years and haven't changed a word of it or any of the other places that do this sort of training pick up some things that maybe work for you that maybe don't you learn by experience and you learn by mistakes unfortunately but you learn what not to do and then you start to learn what to do find something that fits you so you can be you you have to reach this person across that table You can't be accusatory, you can't be nasty, you can't raise your voice, you can't yell and scream, you can't use obscenity, you want him to talk to you. He's not gonna talk to you if he doesn't like you. He's not gonna talk to you if you frighten him. You gotta sit there as if you're talking to somebody at a bar. You want him to be relaxed. You wanna reach out and touch him by, in my case, I never raised my voice, I never used obscenity, I would ask questions, I would let him talk and don't interrupt him. People suffer from diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> you let them talk and they'll tell you things they wouldn't tell their mother. If you just sit there and look at him, occasionally nodding your head, but not saying a word, he will continue to talk, particularly if he's responsible for this because guilt drives fear, which drives conversation. He believes he has to talk to you to talk his way out. Look at him sitting at that table. Where are his feet facing? Are they facing the door? Because he wants out. Is he looking at the door? Is he fidgeting with his hands? Does he look nervous? Does he do things when you say something to him? Ask a question you know the answer to and see if you'll lie to you. I was always looking for the first lie. Tell me a lie. Because if you lie to me, I'm talking to the right guy. Innocent people don't have to lie. Those kinds of things can do serve you well over time. But it's something you have to learn over time. You're not going to learn it once or twice or 50 times. And then you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to get a confession. No, you're not. Confessions are extremely rare. You will get part of the truth, maybe a little something, maybe something where someone implicates themselves as being involved in this. But the truth will remain elusive. They won't commit to the truth. Not Mm -hmm. if they're normal. Now, If they're abnormal, they might, because they could be proud of what they did. Right. But for the most part, a normal person is just going to edge around it. Well, I was there and yes, I was next to the cookie jar and there could have been a moment where I had a cookie in my hand, but take a bite out of it. Oh no, not me. So you get to the point where they're talking a little bit, but not everything.
0: Right. Yeah. The mitigation. Yeah. I hear you. Of course. (laughs) Hey, I want to talk a little bit more about um, some of the myths of, you know, interrogation and and solving crimes. But first, I want to take a quick moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Lieutenant Joe Kenda, retired homicide detective, author and real crime drama host. You know, in your bio, Joe, I'm reading that your team solved 356 of 387 homicide cases. Incredible, 92%. When a lot of agencies hover around that, maybe 30% or more uh, crime solve rate. Uh, I wanted to joke with you and say, what happened to the other 31? But you know, it's not a laughing matter. You've done a a terrific job. How do you train the others, the newcomers to your squad?
1: Determination. That's all it takes is determination. You need two things to be a great detective. One, you need to know the law. You need to know what you can do. And more importantly, you know, you have to know what you may not do. And secondly, the only thing required is an undying sense of curiosity. Somebody made this happen. And we don't know who that is. And it's our job to find that out. So it's about determination. It's not about being smart. It's not about being clever. It's not about forensics. It's about people. People kill people. Hmm. Objects do not. So you've got to look at it that way. There has to be something going on here that we haven't considered. Someone involved in this we don't know about yet. So on and so on and so on. I had a case once, had a new detective, comes into the unit. I said, take this lead on this case and go work it. Well, that's that guy in the motel from from five years ago. I said, yep, it is. Well, nobody cares about him. And everybody in that unit just started looking the other way and like, well, I've got to go find something to do because they knew what would happen. And I turned white. And I turned that kid around and said, don't you ever, ever say that to me. If you think that, that no one cares about that guy in that motel five years ago, you're going to be writing tickets at the airport from midnight to eight with Tuesdays and Thursdays off. Do you understand me? Now go work that leap and come back and tell me the result right now. Yes, sir. We care, my boy. That's what we're here for.
0: So, so sheer determination is, is one of your driving training points. What kind yep. of training, what kind of training that over your career you've received that really sort of gave you that aha moment? Like, wow, this is really a tip.
1: Well, everything about it does, but the greatest tip I ever got was from a training detective that I had, an older guy who'd been around the block a couple of times took me to crime scene. He said, what do you think we ought to do right now? Well, we should check for evidence and we should do Okay, stop, shut up, shut up. What we're going to do right now is nothing. We're going to look around in here and keep your hands in your pocket you don't touch anything unless you ask me first. And I thought that was awfully good advice.
0: Yeah, that's Let's great calm down. Works great advice <laughs> you know in 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 our unit we would get um a report from the night before you know midnight po- police officer makes sure. an arrest and uh, you get it the next morning um you get those kinds of cases uh you know i really found it important to actually go to the scene because you you know these, these coppers are working in the middle of the night it's dark uh, you retrace the steps you may find a weapon or a mask or or something else Of course. Uh, uh, which, uh... Yeah, give me your your best advice getting that first, uh, you know, report in the morning.
1: The first advice is to tell your night guys, all right, if you're not there, if they didn't call you and you didn't respond in the middle of the night, because I did it all the time. Mm-hmm. We had no division of labor in Colorado Springs. There was one homicide, and that was me. So unlike, uh, for example, New York's got 10 of them, two for each borough, plus the, plus the precinct detectives. You know, they got all kinds of people. But in Colorado Springs, there was us, my unit, me. So if you called me at night and I showed up, that's one thing. But if I didn't show up, the instruction was, if I'm not there, you keep that crime scene locked up. You post sentry, post a uniformed officer, make sure the place is secure until I get there tomorrow, because I may want to look at it. And they would do that. For the very same reason you just pointed out, it's dark. In the daytime, you see different things. You look at things differently because you're a different set of eyes. You're not the eyes that were half asleep when you were there four hours ago because you weren't there. You're there now. Mm-hmm. And somebody's telling you what they saw. And you look at this and say, well, you didn't see that because it's not here. And this place has been secured since you were here. So there's you catch little mistakes. And it's important to have a sense of what this really, truly was. Is it what we think it was? Or is it something else? Is it overkill? What is, what's going on here? And you have a better sense of that if you go to that crime scene and look at it yourself. If you're going to be responsible for the result, but then we were. 31 we didn't, 356 we did. So there's two ways to look at that. I'm a smart guy who knows who killed 92% of the people, or I'm a dumb shit who doesn't know who killed 8% of the people. (laughs) You can make numbers say anything you want.
0: (laughs) For sure. I I think there's a lot of agencies out there that would give, you know, an arm and a leg for 92%. Um, To your advice to uh, uh, the first responding officer. Okay. They, they take care of the medical emergencies. Uh, Maybe they lock up that, that offender, lock down the crime scene for you. What
1: else?
0: They just, what, what are their next steps before you get there?
1: The most important thing is containment. It's containment. You lock the place up. Nobody comes in. Nobody goes out. Nobody shows up for their moment in front of a press camera. No deputy chief or captain or whatever who wants to get himself on television. We don't care about that. Don't let them do that. And if they are there, write down their name, I'll get them a subpoena. That'll stop them from showing up. That sort of thing. Keep it totally controlled. The next step is, who's around this place? Who's standing a block away, rubbernecking, but not inquiring? Do you see someone here that just doesn't fit? He's not part of the crowd. He's kind of alone. He's kind of off in a corner. He's watching. Who is that guy? Get a good look at him. Describe his clothing, his appearance. If he gets in a car, get a plate number. Get something about him where we can find him if we don't find him tonight. Hmm. People like that interest me. Why? I understand interest in police activity. I don't understand somebody standing behind the crowd of interested people who's also interested. Why are you doing that? Are you responsible for this? Do you know who was? Why are you hanging back from everyone else? So those kinds of questions to ask people, <clears throat> officers when they're at a crime scene, uh, who was here when you got here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who told you about this? And how do they know about this to tell you about it? What's their story as to why they're here? Are they here because they did this, or are they here because they discovered it? Right, and so on, and so on. You know those kinds of things. Who took them off?
0: Yeah, and so the uh, the officer you get, you arrive, and the you do all your things. And the officer says, "Hey." by the way, this guy has been standing over there. I tried to talk to him. I don't think he's the suspect, but um, you know, he's a reluctant witness. What's, what's your strategy Mm -hmm. on dealing with uh, the reluctant witness?
1: You assess who that witness is. Is he a street person? If he is, if he's a street person, and this is a, let's say it's a bad neighborhood. This guy dresses, acts, and looks like somebody who lives in a bad neighborhood. He has been kicked to the curb all his life by society. Yes. He trusts no one except someone who is like him. If you walked up to that guy and you say, excuse me, sir, my name is Sergeant Kent with the police department, and we're doing some inquiries in the area here regarding a violent crime that just occurred, address. Do you have anything to say about it? No, man, I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing. Walk up to that same guy and say, hey, I'm looking for this fucking guy. You know what that fucking guy did in there to a kid? And his response will be, what do you do? Because now you're one of them. You are him. He'll talk to you because he thinks he can
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there is that that wave of reluctance out there with the, you know, the motto. In, sure there in, is. In those neighborhoods, you know, and, uh, snitches end up you in bet. stitches, right? So yeah. what do you arrange an off-site meeting,
1: slip them your card? Whatever you do, give them a card. So you give me a call sometime. I'll talk to you. If you have some trouble sometime in your life. Let me know. Maybe I can help you out. No, oh, there you go. You'd be surprised how they come back to you.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, quid pro quo. Hey, I sure. want to wrap up. I know your time's valuable. I so appreciate having you here. But I want to know, we've seen TV and movie drive dramas about detective work. And we talked a little bit about it. What irks you the most? I know you don't watch a lot of these crime <laughs> shows. But if you do, what stands out? What irks you the most? Good cop, bad cop? You know, these, these, these just re
1: All of it, all of it, yeah, all of it, there's a good cop The thing that irks me the most probably is the advisement of rights. It's a two-pronged test, custody and focus. Everybody knows that. You don't need to uh, know your rights until you're under arrest and you are aware you're under arrest and you are aware you are not free to go. And you intend to inquire about a specific crime of which he is a suspect. You're then required to advise him of his rights. At no other time are you required to advise him of his rights. So, why are you doing that? Right. Why are you doing that? You just arrest him. That's it. You don't tell him shit until you want to talk to him. Then you ask him about his rights. Not before. Uh, everybody's displaying a gun. Everybody's got a gun in their hand. Everybody's pointing a gun at somebody. It's what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, The yelling and screaming and the the chases and the gunfire and good God, you know, you really think that's what it's like? Because it isn't. It isn't. So those kinds of things that happen in those programs are among the many reasons why I never watched them.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of those, the the chasing, not even catching the suspect yet, but chasing him and yelling out the Miranda warning is hilarious.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, Ernesto would be proud. <laughs> or he's still alive. <laughs> right. He's still invoking my name, by God. Ernesto you know, are, Miranda. God. That's right. Ernesto Miranda murdered during a you know, dice game
0: right yes
1: oh interesting yeah
0: yeah his legacy lives on
1: well yes it does
0: hey i want to wrap up but tell me tell me about an interesting case that we should watch on your show on discovery plus
1: well every one of them this particular season this season two they're quite good they're quite interesting and they're true mysteries and they involve people, they're everyday folks. You know, the other thing about movies, they present the bad guys as all wearing $5,000 suits and having private jets. And with one leader who is a brilliant, who is a genius, who's in charge of everything. And he wears a $10,000 suit. And nobody knows anybody like that. But show them a program about a victim who works for you work. Or does what you do, or lives in a neighborhood like you live in, who has a wife and kids, you can identify with that person. Think, man, that could be me. Yes, exactly. It could have been you. It wasn't you, but it could have been you. And let me show you how this happened to this person who's in most cases completely innocent. No harmless lifestyle, no drug sales, no girlfriend, boyfriend, none of that stuff, just things. That go on in lives that cause violence to occur, and it occurred to them. And yet we have no clue on who or why or how or anything else. And we find out as we inquire, as they say. I think they're all good. I do. Yeah,
0: well, that's great that you know you honor the victim and you take the perspective of the victim. I think you know, too often. You know we we highlight or showcase these you know active shooters we we call them by name on on our show we have a policy of not naming the shooter to to make them any more famous than they want to be but uh, i'm glad you, you make a focus
1: you have to decide people no one gets to play god john you don't get to decide who lives and dies you can have someone who is maybe despicable, who maybe sells drugs, who does whatever. That doesn't mean they should die for that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. They get the same attention from us as anybody else. They're a human being. Somebody took their life for little no reason. And that's against the rules. You can't do that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's, you know, that dedication and that attention to detail that, you know, got you the 92% solve rate, uh, outstanding work. Uh, Thanks for everything you've done. Uh, Joe Kenda, Lieutenant Joe Kenda from American detective on discovery plus. Hey, thanks so much for taking time with us, Joe.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: To our listeners. Thanks again for listening. I hope you found today's show interesting. Let us know what you think. Drop us an email at matters at police1.com. That's matters at police1.com. Let us know what you think. Tell us what you want to hear about, who you want to hear from. We'll see what we can do to make it happen. Appreciate the, uh, the emails. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again real soon.